Welcome into the Game Plan Podcast. We are live, broadcasting to the world. It's going to be an interesting show. Greg Barnes will join us, hopefully. Where's the uh, song? In just a moment. What, what, what was I singing? Was I singing Nickelback or was I no. singing uh, The Sun Will Come Up? There you go. Tomorrow. Either way, folks, we'll be singing that on Saturday at, I guess, midnight. Shout out to Sean Crawley. Shout out to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring this podcast. Greg's working his way in. I am Tommy Ashley. That's Jason Staples. Of course, we're sponsored, title sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. I will talk about them shortly. And as I speak him into existence, Greg Barnes has rolled off the golf course <laughs> onto the Game Plan podcast, Fix the Logos. Uh, as uh, Sean Crawley said in the chat, smash the like button. I want to see how many... If we can have as many likes of this podcast as we have viewers in here, that means everybody has participated. Get your questions in for Greg and Jason. Uh, Greg, I've, I've been singing already, waiting for you. I've sang some Nickelback, some, uh, I don't know who sang, The Sun Will Come Up Tomorrow. That's, that's Annie. That's Annie? Yeah, but, it's a musical. I mean, who, yeah, I'm not a big musical fan. Apparently you are. Unless it's Hamilton. Greg. So wait a minute. Is there a rendition of Nickelback singing Annie? There should be. <laughs> it, that would be Tommy's favorite album from what I hear. <laughs> Greg, He's how'd you shoot? Oh, I, unfortunately, I was not able to play. I watched today. So uh, well, so how'd it go? Pretty good. <clears throat> Pretty good. Solid so, solid day of it, but uh, no trophies or anything, but, but good. Productive play- day. Do we play for process or do we play for trophies? We play for process. You're That's exactly right. right, Tommy. I had that discussion the other day. I never have ever expected anything. I just expect you to do it the right way, which yep. is, a, is a great uh, lead-in to this. <clears throat> Greg, you wrote an article about Duke, North Carolina. This is a game that feels like the process will matter heavily going into it on Saturday night as North Carolina prepares for a Duke team that has some injuries, has that dreaded third-screen quarterback, but also has the benefit of being a double-digit dog against North Carolina. How you feel for the Tar Heels, Greg, going into this one? Let's just get it out of the way early. This, well, is, a, this is an interesting one. It is, but if anybody watching, uh, this is live, so if you've watched the first half of Louisville in Virginia – uh, what you see is a, a Louisville team that I don't think they qualify as great in any of the three phases of the game. They're really good, though. They're really good across all three phases. And so Louisville scored a touchdown on offense, uh, really good defensively. They pinned Virginia back, and then they blocked a punt for a touchdown. What happens? They're up 14 to zip. Are they playing their best game? No but they're taking care of business against a team that they should beat handily. Uh, And that's really what it comes down to is where North Carolina has struggled so much. And primarily it has been on the defensive side of the ball over the years. 
but we see North Carolina slip in one of the key phases. It could be a blocked punt. It can be the defense getting gashed in the fourth quarter. It can be the offense making some silly mistakes and not being effective in closing out games. One side of the bar, one phase of the game can struggle if the other two lift it up. That's what good teams to great teams do. You, you kind of balance things out. Uh, last year, the end of the year, when defenses started to have a little bit more success against Drake May and what Phil Longo wanted to do, and the offense started to struggle, the defense wasn't there to pick them up. And that's really what we're going to be talking about these next three weeks because North Carolina will play the three best defenses on their schedule against Duke, against Clemson, and against NC State. And so the offense likely will struggle some. Now, if the offense has a great day, then ball game over for pretty much all of them. But that's asking a lot. So the other two phases have to really be able to contribute. And you talk about process, Tommy. For North Carolina to take that next step, that has to happen. When we talk about complementary football all the time, that's everybody pitching in. We've discussed ad nauseum since really Larry Fedora back in 2012. What is a balanced offense in modern-day football? It's you take what the defense gives you, and if they take away the run, you can lean on the pass and vice versa. The same goes when we talk about the whole scope of a team. You know, If the offense is struggling, the defense has to pick it up, even if most of the time the offense is the primary weapon. Because more times than not, Drake May is going to lead you to victory. But in the days that he doesn't have his A game, Special teams and defense has to pick them up, uh, and that's really what we get to on Saturday night against Duke. Jason, when you look at this one going in, I see a Duke team, and I've mentioned it before, I see a Duke team that is injured, that is on their third-string quarterback, um, who I think is probably better than the second string, but I digress, and a, a, a bad underdog here. Um, but to Greg's point, there have been – many times where North Carolina has simply failed to handle business. How does that week look building up to this one with the emphasis on just handling business, doing what you're supposed to do and getting to this game and then handling business during it? Put yourself in that with your coaching hat on here. Uh, I mean, this is a game they should win. This is a game that they can win. But this is a game they definitely can lose. What's the approach? Well, I think you said a mouthful when you said do your job. I mean, do your job. You would job. think it was easy, right? You would think do, that part is easy. Do your job and do it with intensity and with passion. You're going to go a long way in this world. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty simple. And, you know, do your job. Do it with correct fundamentals. Do it the right way, focusing on the process of doing it well. Do it really, really hard to the best of your ability, and you're going to be fine. Well, thing is, the last couple of weeks, there have been too many breakdowns in some aspect of that, whether it's somebody not doing his job, whether that's somebody not doing his job the right way with good technique, or whether that's somebody not doing, or not doing his job with full 100% absolute I'm, I'd rather die than lose this rep passion. And, you know, this is a rivalry game, right? This is for the victory bell. 
if, if you have how many times have I said it this year? Like if you have to get like extra creative to motivate in this time at, at this point, you got some guys that like this. Maybe this game isn't for you. Right. Maybe you should just, you know, start thinking about going pro in something other than sports and doing it a little earlier because, you know, this is just maybe it's just not maybe you just don't love football. So, you know, that's that's the thing. I mean, I'm I'm wanting to challenge my guys as a as a coach to say, like, look, I shouldn't need to motivate you. Do you do you want to lose to a rival? Really? Let's just go out there and do our work. And like you said, focus on the process. Greg, when I I don't know if I don't want to do that. I'm gonna change it. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be, you know, fair here. Um, you kind of knew what Virginia was going to do. You kind of definitely knew what Georgia Tech was going to do. And then North Carolina still did what they're going to do, and it didn't work. Does anything change this week? Um, you've been around coaches for a long time. Coaches do what they're going to do. Gene Chiswick told me. We run nickel 90% of the time. That's what we run. Uh, given a week to prepare, given, well, two weeks really, if you discount Campbell game, is there a different approach for this coaching staff going into this game on the defensive side? Or is it more about executing what you do um, and doing your job? I think that's the primary thing there, Tommy. Um, are there going to be some schematic Differences, some minor changes, probably. Um, do you see wholesale changes? I doubt it. I mean, it's just not, you know, you kind of go with what you work on. Um, and I'm sure they'll probably have some some unique looks just to make sure they, they shore up and, and help out defensively because as Jason did such a great job this week of laying out what Duke does, they're creative in their run game. Uh, and Gene Chizik and his staff are seeing the same thing. And so they're going to mix things up a little bit just to make up for some of those wrinkles. I would be surprised if they do any wholesale changes. I mean, this is not the defense that we saw last year. Now, last two games against FBS teams hasn't been very good, especially against Georgia Tech. But, you know, give Georgia Tech credit. That's the best rushing offense in the ACC and one of the better ones in the country. Um, Duke has a very good rushing offense as well. But when you take Riley Leonard out of the equation – it's neutered somewhat. And so I think it's really more about execution. I mean, as Jason pointed out in some of his videos, I mean, Carolina had guys uh, in the right positions against Virginia and Georgia Tech. You just have to make the play. And so that's going to be the key is, uh, again, do your job. And for North Carolina, with the defense that they have, they're going to give up some plays. I mean, that's just kind of where this defense is right now. But that's okay. You have to win the majority of the time, though. And so you can allow Duke to score some points. You can't allow him to score a lot of points. And so you just have to be very sound. And there's not a lot of suggestion that Duke's going to be able to hit explosive plays in the passing game. Um, and so while you don't want to see Duke really shred up North Carolina for these eight, nine, ten play drives where all they're doing is running the ball, uh, you can have a little bit of allowance for some of these drives to take up some clock as long as you get some stops and maybe force some field goals in addition to some punts. Jason, I'm going to go straight to the questions in the chat. And, and folks, drop questions in the chat, and we'll get to those. I feel like 
Um, if you're here in the live chat, if you're one of the 160 plus in here, you, you deserve to get some questions answered specifically if we don't cover it. So I'm going to go to Preston um, from Greensboro, who's a regular here. Always shout out to the regulars. Jason, can you play nickel and just put more in the box? Yes. If you're, if your DBs, if your DBs are going to play physical, then yes. If you're confident that the safety who's the extra guy in the box in, in this case, or the nickel who's the extra guy in the box in that case, that those guys are going to come up and make the tackle when, or take on the, the offensive lineman or the, the H back or the, you know, the, the tight end or whoever the, that extra blocker is. If you're confident that that guy's going to come up and, and, and meet that pressure with physicality and blow that up in the hole or, or knife through and, and make the tackle on, you know, one-on-one -on -one with the, with the running back. If you're confident in that, you can play nickel all you want. If you're not confident in that, then you might want to bring on bring somebody onto the field who you're pretty confident is going to be able to do those things. But it's as simple as that. And some teams have that guy. Um, you know, you think about we're talking about Trey Boston, couple what last last game plan or last uh, I guess that was a uh, day after. Yeah, talk about a guy like that. He didn't have any compunction about coming up and laying the wood on a running back. And you know, he he didn't seem to have any issues with taking on a, a blocker here and there. If you got that, or you know, you look at last year, uh, you know, one of the one of your all ACC safeties, Jamie Robinson, is not a big guy. He's like five, maybe five ten, five eleven, probably five ten. Uh, you know, two hundred pounds, but he played with such a chip on his shoulder, and when he came up, he would take on a guard without a problem. He'd just submarine that guy and make a mess in that hole. He took on running backs, you know, who weighed 30 pounds more than him. And he just decided, I'm going to bring so much force and I'm going to go through the lower half. I'm going to get under those pads. I'm going to take that guy on. And he made a lot of tackles. If that's your guy in the box, feel free to play five defensive backs all you want. If that's not your guy in the box, well, <laughs> find somebody who can do those things. You know, we talked about um, this guy earlier in the season and, and saw him. He's not the biggest one. And Greg, I want to talk to you about it as well, but I want to stay with Jason. On Carolina's roster, current roster, I mean, there's no Cam Chancellor. There's no those big guys. But Stick Lane is a little fella, but he'll hit you. He's he's the dog that you say, that dog's not going to bother me. And then he takes a chunk out of your leg. Is he the answer here? <laughs> Does your <laughs> he dog the... bite? <laughs> it's just a flesh wound. Uh, is he the guy? Is he the guy that Carolina needs to trot out there and get a lot of playing time? Because quite frankly, I need to see it from from Biggers and from Don Chapman consistently. Um, if it's not Stick Lane on Saturday, Jason, that was a question for you. Get out oh, of the that was chat. a question. I thought you were going to Greg. Uh, yeah. So. Um... <laughs> Stick lane, yeah. my brother. Yeah, no, I think I, I think he is a guy that, and we talked about we talked about this uh, off air already. Stick is a guy I think can fit that. He's the one guy in the secondary, or the one the one safety we've seen so far this year that's made a tackle. You know, we've seen him trigger downhill and make a tackle in the other side of the line of scrimmage. Right, he plays with a with a physicality and edge to him. I mean, he he might be. You know, I'm not sure he's 180 pounds. He's not big. So he's liable to get run over by, by a big back, but he's sure not going to go down because he didn't bring the wood. He's going to bring every, every ounce he's got 
and do it coming downhill hard. Uh, you you got to make sure he's going to the right gap and make sure that, you know, he he does make that does finish instead of just, you know, blowing himself up. But that's what you need. I do think this is a game where stick is is a is a potential option to have out there more because they are going to put a lot of demands on the on the safeties to come downhill and come downhill and tackle. It's also a game where honestly, you know, I've been a little surprised. One of the surprises for me this season is that we've not seen as much of Derek Allen as I thought we would. And uh, I thought and, I, I think he needs to get some run. I mean, yeah, I I think I think he's a guy with the with the 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 size profile that he brings to the table. He's a guy that in this game, this might be exactly the sort of game that is ready made for him to get some reps and get some contribution because of how how big and physical he is uh it's worth thinking about at least and you know i'm not in practice every day right now to make that decision but it is something that's crossed my mind of like you know if you are going to stay in your nickel you know it'd be interesting to sort of see what what safety personnel you think is the best against the team that's going to run the football and get you a lot of one-on-ones with your with your safeties trying to trying to tackle in the box uh and I think I think getting him some reps might be a good idea. Greg, aside from safety talk, and, and you can hit on that if you want, but I do think this is another game that Miles Murphy, uh, Javari Ritzy, Travis Shaw, uh, Tamari Fox, Kevin Hester, if he's fully healthy, those guys need to earn their snaps in, in this one. I mean, Cayman Rucker's getting – way too many we've talked about that but this is a game that interior that interior line and that's what louisville did to duke they were able to blow duke up Uh, this is a game that those guys need to get their names called um, by the announcer by the pa man in keenan stadium he needs to be calling those names a lot right yeah for sure right if if we're safeties are important for sure because they can fire up and and hit some gaps and, and help you out there but if you're relying on your safeties to win this type of game, uh, that's a tough ask. And why is that? Well, there's games like this game. Uh, Virginia was the same way. Clemson certainly will be the same way. And then NC State will be the same way, where those teams do not have the offensive weapons that North Carolina has. And so the way that those teams win these games is by winning the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And whoever wins the line of scrimmage is going to have an edge. And that has been an issue for North Carolina uh, for a number of years. We saw it last year against Georgia Tech, a game that North Carolina had no business losing. Georgia Tech's able to win at the point of attack, uh, and Carolina's 17-point lead evaporates, and things kind of go into free fall from there. And we saw that against Virginia and Georgia Tech this year. Let me give you some numbers, Tommy, of why the defensive line is so important. And I think it's – the fact that you saw some good play from KBJ and, and Travis Shaw against Campbell, yes, I know it's Campbell, but any bit of success that you have on the field in live action gives you confidence. That's, that's a very important detail that sometimes we overlook. Uh, so now that you have all these bodies that can rotate in, nobody should be tired as long as you rotate them appropriately because you've got the guys there uh, that you have to lean on at some point. It can't just be the same guys time and time again. But as for those numbers, when you look at what Duke wants to do offensively, on first down, they are averaging 6.1 yards per carry. On second down, 4.6 yards per carry. North Carolina defensively, 
is allowing 4.2 yards per carry on first down, five yards per carry on second down. What does that tell you? Duke wants to do everything it can to get into situations where they win on first and second down and at worst have third and short for Loftus, true freshman. What North Carolina has to be able to do is they have to be able to limit Duke's run game in early downs. If you can get Duke to third and long consistently in this game, that's how you win. And so really pay attention to what Carolina is able to do on those um, opening downs because if you look at Duke has been better than North Carolina in the run game this year. I mean, they've broken 85 tackles. They've got more than 1,500 yards after contact. Duke averaging, does? Duke does. Yeah. Wow. Those um, backs are legit. Those backs are. are really, really good. Jordan Waters and Jalen Coleman are both really good. Um, and you're at, they're averaging 5.3 yards per attempt uh, in non-sack yardage. They don't give up many sacks anyway. But this is a team that has a good offensive line, and they have good backs, as Jason said. And so it's going to be a test. And, yeah, the safeties matter. Yes, said Gray and Power Eccles going to be very important, filling those gaps as well. But if you're not holding the line or at least pushing back the line a little bit, I just don't see how you're going to have success because if they're able to run the ball consistently throughout, it's going to be really tough for North Carolina to gain an advantage, and they have a significant advantage when you're comparing Loftus versus Drake May. Therein lies why I named this podcast uh, Trench Battle. North Carolina and Duke. Um, Greg Barnes lays it out. Jason, trench any warfare. Trench warfare, trench battle. You know, Games are won and lost in the trenches. It's never true. It's never more true when Duke and North Carolina play. Jason, uh, you know, when I look at this game on, on the defense, you've broken it down. So, sort of game plan it for us. What do you expect to see from Gene Chizik's defense here? Not hypotheticals, not what ifs. What do you expect to see out of this bunch? Because I think this game's won and lost on this side of the ball for North Carolina because the offense has shown that they can put up points, but um, – yeah, give me your give me your take. This is what's going to happen on Saturday. Do I have to? Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be a fair amount of frustration on the defensive side. Uh, last year. Now, uh, one thing that one thing that is a complete change from last year is last year. Duke brought in a team with Riley Leonard at quarterback, and this is a different offense with Riley Leonard because of what he brings to you, not just in the passing game, but in the running game. He is a, he is a top-shelf runner as a quarterback. And, you know, just a load to bring down, really athletic, very, very difficult. Last year, Duke, if you remember, in the first half, had their way with, with, with Carolina. And, you know, they scored 35 points on Carolina last year, uh, an average 7.42 yards per play against last year's Carolina defense, which may, mostly has the same personnel compared to this year. Uh, and last year, they ran for 42 carries for 297 yards and 7 yards per carry on the ground. Right? Four touchdowns. Still can't believe Carolina won that game last year. 
Yeah. And we'll talk yeah. about why Cohen won that game after the break. But. Yeah. But that – now, that was with Riley Leonard, and Riley Leonard having the one really long run was a factor in that and one of the reasons that they did average seven yards per carry. And Carolina did shut them down pretty well in the second half. But, I mean, we've got now multiple years of track record to where if we're expecting Carolina to go out and hold Duke to three yards per play in this game just because they, they're bringing in somebody other than Riley Leonard at quarterback, I, I just don't think that's realistic. I think you're looking at, at Duke being able to move the football, having a couple big chunk runs in the running game, probably you know two runs over 40 yards, you know a couple touchdowns, that sort of thing, to where it's really frustrating to watch because they're going to be able to chip away and, and – hold on to the football longer than, than they should and have some success in the running game. I think they're going to be able to, to have, some, have some success against Carolina's front. And I think there will be lots of people complaining about all the holding going on against North Carolina's defensive line by Duke's uh, offensive line. You're going to see a lot, of, a lot of people complaining about that the next day too or during the game. I mean, the game thread's going to have a ton of people shouting about holding. It's just the way it is. That's the way that's the way the Duke offensive line is going to look. But that's what I see. I, I mean, I, I, I don't see them having a lot of success through the year. I do think that they're going to RPO plenty when Carolina does start to try to get tight against the run and, and probably have some success on the inside with some of that. But I don't see them having a bunch of success over the top or anything like that. Uh, you know, you, you got to worry about one guy uh, in terms of their their the big play potential in the run in the uh, passing game. Uh, that being, um, uh, now his name Calhoun. is escaping me. What's that? Jalen Calhoun. Yeah, Jalen Calhoun. You got to work. You got to you got to be aware of that guy, uh, and he's certainly a real weapon in the in the special teams game as well, which I think is a real concern for Carolina because Carolina's not been good punting the foot, uh, football. They've not been great in kick coverage. And that's, a, that's an aspect that could also burn them in this game. Uh, there's a lot of little dangers here, and I think this is going to be a frustrating game to watch on this side of the ball. I don't see any... I, let's just put it this way. It might not be, but based on the track record we've seen the last couple of years, is there any indication that that's going to be different from that? Yeah, if you would have had this game prior to the Virginia game or prior to the Georgia Tech game, I might would say, well, you know, I don't know. Carolina's done well. Uh, doing that, but yeah, those those two games, two of the last three, brought back some horror stories from a year ago. And, and like I said, that game in Wallace Wade last year, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure how Duke managed to lose that one. Let's talk about Johnny T-shirt. Johnny T-shirt dot com mm. sponsors of the podcast, Woo! title sponsors of Inside Carolina's podcast, and a great place to get all of your gear. My goal is to have Jason Staples in these podcasts wearing something from Johnny T-Shirt. So I'm going to go to Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street, and I'm going to buy something, and I'm going to bring it to Jason and have him sport it so he can model it during these reads. Uh, they take care of you on all sides of the ball, whether it's basketball, football, soccer ball, baseball. They look after you, and you can get all your, your gear and swag either online or in person. Check them out on Franklin Street. Wonderful folks, great friends of Inside Carolina, of course, great friends of the premium subscriber to get 10%. If you're a premium subscriber, you know what Greg was talking about, the film breakdowns from Jason. Price of admission, folks. If you're not a premium sub sub subscriber, not only you don't get 10%, you don't get to see those breakdowns. So check them out. National guys will pay the bills. We'll be right back. It's the game plan, North Carolina and Duke. 
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a dude averaging 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four the podcast so you don't miss a thing. Okay, boys, we are back. Shout out to Johnny T-Shirt. Shout out to Greg and Jason for joining me. I am Tommy Ashley. Um, I think this is really a, a, a relevant point. And Greg, I'm going to go to the offense. Omaha says, I really don't know what to expect Saturday, this team. So let's go to the part of the, the program that North Carolina should be fairly successful with, and that's a Drake May-led offense. Greg, is it on their backs? Is this a Drake May game for North Carolina against Duke overall? And then we'll get into the details. Well, look, there's one true difference maker in this game. And there's a reason that North Carolina is favored by double digits. And that is Drake May and this offense, right? If there's going to be a blowout, it's going to be on the North Carolina side. Uh, because you've got arguably the best quarterback in the ACC. I know Jason uh, – and some of his his fellow uh, Seminoles may say Jordan Travis is right there with him. But then Drake's, Amer- Drake's the best. So, hold on a second. ACC. Say it louder, Jason. Drake Drake May is the best quarterback in the ACC. Okay. Where did you go to school? Where did you go to I w- school? I went to Florida State and and North Carolina. <laughs> Seminole Nation, listen to that. That's what yeah, you were saying. Drake, <laughs> look, Jordan Travis is a really really good quarterback. And you know, uh, David Hale p- posted earlier this week. Uh, he posted a, yeah. uh, a, 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 you know, he he loves to do this. I love it when he does this, where he goes player A, and he gives the stats, <laughs> you know, the relevant stats for that player, and then player B, and player B has a little better stats, better numbers against better competition, and then he goes player A is Michael Penix, player B is Jordan Travis. You go, whoa, all right, yeah. but look, I mean. And so, I mean, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Jordan Travis. He's a really good player. Drake May's the best quarterback in the ACC. Greg, your point. So I'm impressed with. I was trying to give Jason an out, and he he didn't take it. So that's good. Um, <laughs> I I go with what my eyes see on the on the film, man. But when you've got Drake May and you've got the best running back in the ACC in Marion Hampton, uh, you know, if you are able to hit on a big a couple of big plays, you know, Duke really doesn't have a way to answer that. And so what Duke wants to do is to keep this game close and to lean on his defense and to score some points with the run game, control the clock, and be there in the fourth quarter and try to win it. I mean, it's as simple as that. What North Carolina wants to do is be able to score some touchdowns, get some easy ones, and then all of a sudden, you know, Duke down 14 with Loftus at quarterback, that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. for Kevin Johns and what Mike Elko wants to do. Um, and so that's why North Carolina is a double-digit favorite. And so does Carolina do anything different? Not necessarily. You just have to kind of be smart. I mean, again, Jason did a really good job kind of laying things out with what Duke does so effectively. Mike Elko for a long, long time has been one of the best defensive coordinators in the in the country. Uh, and so I'm sure it was a very interesting week for Chip Lindsey 
and his staff and Drake to kind of see some of the unique looks that, that Mike's going to throw at them. And so what you don't want is turnovers. Those are deal breakers. Um, but if you have a balanced attack and you can utilize the pass game with the run game, I don't care how good of a defense you are, that's really difficult to stop. And uh, I think that's that's really it, Tommy. I don't think it's a matter of saying, well, Drake's going to win it. It's you've got to do what you do. You've got to take advantage. you got to stay in front of the chains. And if you do that, this North Carolina offense has proven this one. It's like top ten in the country. It's very good. Uh, Duke's defense is good too, but I think Carolina's offense is a little bit better. And so there are going to be opportunities. They just have to limit the damage. You stay in front of the chains. Uh, and and be willing to to run the ball when you have opportunities uh, and and throw the ball successfully. And there's been times, and I like Jason's take on this, where Drake Mays had opportunities in the RPO game where he hasn't necessarily made the best choice. And this is a game where he has to make the right choice. And if he's able to make the right choice the large majority of the time, then I think Carolina will be able to score enough points to win this game. Jason, I'll let you run with that. Drake has admitted there's been times – first of all, he's checked out of some plays and into some plays and made the right choice, and those plays were successful. Um, you can go all the way back to South Carolina. The check into the pass to Kobe Pace or the long pass was, was one of those. Um, but he has said in his availabilities that there have been some RPO decisions where he should have pulled it and he didn't, or he should have given it and he didn't. Um, to Greg's point – how important it is, is it, and what does Duke do that will force Drake into those decisions that he's got to make the right choice? Well, Duke is going to try to take away the run, uh, like every team, but they do it with a light box as often as not. That's one of the things that, so Elko, one of the things that makes an Elko defense so hard to play against is, first of all, there's movement after the ball is snapped where the you know he'll present the same a lot of times there'll be the same sort of cover seven initial pre-snap that then that that look changes for the quarterback right as the snap is happening so they do a good job with and not quite as good a job as some some elko teams in the past have done um but they do a good job of they'll roll safeties down and suddenly move from a split safety look to a single safety look and they do that on the snap uh Sometimes, you know, if you if you formation him well, you can kind of figure out in pre-snap that guy's going to be the guy that's going to roll down, look at his weight weight distribution, look at where he's lined up. He's not quite as deep as the other guy, and different things like that. But they do some of that. The, but what the what they really do that that is so hard. One of the things that makes an Elko defense difficult is they almost game you into running the football. It's similar in some ways to what uh Hecock does at Iowa State where they'll present a light box. It looks like you've got a five-man box before the snap. And then right as the ball is snapping, all of a sudden it changes essentially into a seven-man box because of guys moving from where they were in their initial lineup and taking different different gaps. Suddenly you'll have a safety who's coming up and he's responsible for the B gap and he's in the box as the quarterback is receiving the snap. And he was not in the box when, when the quarterback was taken pre-snap. And whether he's in the box or not may determine whether or not you're taking the pass option or the run option. 
and they want to they want to screw with your decision making on that because what they'd like you to do is to run the football right into the teeth of where they're adjusting to bring the extra extra guy from so that that guy's able to come downhill with speed and make a tackle at the line of scrimmage and now you're behind schedule and they can do it again the next play and then they're going to drop eight and make it tough on third and long and get you off the field that's what they do so the critical thing is for Drake May to be to understand that okay first of all I need to understand where the tells are for who's coming from where in pre-snap his he's on his you know one of the things you look at when you're coaching quarterbacks on this is okay the safeties are even level but this is a team that likes to roll one a good bit where's their weight distribution if one safety is kind of sitting towards his heels and the other safety is on his toes, nine, 95 times out of 100, the guy who's on his toes is the guy that's coming forward. So be aware of that and just kind of make sure you check in to verify. It's the whole, you know, guess but verify uh, thing in, 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 the, uh, in the pre-snap. And then really be rigorous with, okay, that's the guy I'm making my decision off of. If he comes and does this, then I do this. And then I need to check the other side of the field because they'll also, they'll bring this guy, they'll roll this guy down, and then they'll bring another guy across from somewhere else into the passing lane where they think you might be RPOing based on tendency. So you read the right guy. Okay, that guy comes, I pull it and I, oh, shoot. <laughs> that guy over there is normally over here, but they, 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 they adjusted their defense to pull him over just because they're expecting us to adjust off of that guy. So you have to have really, really disciplined and good eyes and understand what kinds of things they like to do in that to know when to pull and when to hand it. And I think in this game, the the sort of interesting question is going to be whether Carolina is able to run it well with Amari and Hampton early in the game when they do go light box and then kind of bring those extra guys in and run run support. Is Hampton still able to break a, enough of a tackle on that guy to get four or five yards so you're not behind the chains. If so, you just keep handing it off. And you, you make your hay that way. And then they're going to have to start triggering a little faster, and that's when you RPO them and you hit Bryson Nesbitt or, or uh, Copenhaver or somebody like that or, you know, one of the, a number of any number of those inside guys. I mean, it could be McCollum. It could be a number of guys on the inside on some of those seams as those players are triggering against the run. You take advantage of that guy as the conflict player, that's when you pull it, and that's when you start to gash the, the Duke defense. That's what you have to do. But this is going to be a game where, where May's going to have to be really disciplined, and I think Chip Lindsey's going to have to be disciplined as a play caller because Duke depends on getting teams impatient. They want you to get impatient. They want you to try to throw the, to try to beat them downfield with your outside wide receivers. Try to finally, okay, we got it. We're, we're going to, we're going to go and, and get a chunk play here. Interception. But we're going to get a chunk play here and they're playing over the top too much and you, they, they're taking, they're bracketing it enough that you can't just throw back shoulder. They're doing different things to take away a lot of those big plays down the field on the outside while still using those interior players to take away the run, which means you have to really beat them with those inside throws and you got to be precise enough that those inside throws don't get overthrown or you know, put to the wrong guy and wind up turning the ball over. But that's what they want. They're going to force you to throw into that traffic area and you know, rely on maybe, maybe a guy has a ball go off his hands and there's the safety who's just standing there looking at it. Oh, interception, that sort of thing. That's what they're depending on. A little bit of precision, 
great eyes and Drake may can have a, a pretty good day, but it's going to be, I think if he has a good day, it's going to be on the interior there uh, a lot between the hashes and between the numbers. Uh, Greg, I got a question for you, but I want to answer one in the chat first. How did the Tar Heels rank as far as penalties in the ACC from Tar Heel K, 1969? Looking at the ACC stats, North Carolina is only ahead of Pittsburgh in penalties with 63 on the year for 608 yards. Pittsburgh is uh, last with 70.89. Duke, by the way, is third in the conference in penalties. Um, with only 50 called against them for 41 yards a game. So uh, I anticipate what Jason said earlier about the hold issues um, will, will be readily apparent in this ball. It's not game. just holding, though, because if you look at the at the, the, the one of the things you've got to take into account is holding and that kind of penalty is a judgment penalty for officials. Pre-snap stuff, by and large, is not, not so much, right? Yeah. Though I did when I was going through film review for the, the of the uh, of the Florida State Pitt game from this week, I've, I located two uh, two plays where Florida State should have had a uh, uh, a um, illegal formation that the officials just <laughs> didn't didn't identify. But uh, and that's rare. Normally, if you if you line up wrong, you're gonna get you're gonna get flagged. But it was a weird formation, and I, I think they just they the guy was slightly too far off the line, and I would have called it, and they didn't. But Carolina is only averaging eight yards, a little over eight yards per penalty, which tells you that there's been a lot of pre-snap penalties on, on Carolina, which that's something that, that it's not really a judgment call generally. So, And you get, you can't have the jump penalties. I asked Mac about the chippiness of these ball games. And, yep. and uh, that's always been – I'll never forget. I think it was uh, – who was the center several years ago? They had Duke beat. Well, they weren't Jason. They had Duke beat. And um, – Ah, Russell Bodine had a 15-yard penalty down there late. Uh, that was troublesome. Greg, let me ask you the question I was going to ask you. It's in the comments. It is from Rick Miner. Drake lit them up for 380 and three last year. Is Duke that much better on defense this year? What sayeth the numbers, Greg? They are. Uh, if you look at this points per drive allowed. Um, Last year, Duke was averaging, giving up two points per drive, 42nd nationally, which is you know, above average, but not great. This year, uh, 1.4 points per possession, and they're ninth in the country. So the second year under Mike Elko, the defense has gotten better. But this is, this is a really good defense. As I said earlier, this is the best defense North Carolina has played thus far. Now, having said that, Carolina has played some pretty good defenses already. Minnesota is not what they were last year, but Minnesota is still pretty solid. Uh, Pitt's not what they were last year. They're still pretty solid. So Carolina has shown an ability to score points against even good defenses, which kind of goes back to what we've been discussing. Um, but Duke is a challenge, and that's why it's so important. Yeah, they've got to limit turnovers. Uh, they've got to be able to stay ahead of the chains, and that's really the main thing. And so uh, you know, Jason did a good – job kind of breaking everything down there but to answer your question Tommy yes this this defense is a good bit better than what it was last year and quick uh quick trivia for you Greg I'm sure you know this what is North Carolina's offensive points per drive rank in the country I don't know that but I would assume it's probably top 10 it's number nine so number it's nine. the number nine 
offense in the country in points per drive against the number nine defense in the country in points per drive, which should give a little bit of indication of just how good that Duke defense has been this year. And it's not like they haven't played teams that can that can play offense. I mean, they did play in Tallahassee. That's a pretty good offense. Uh, they've they you know they've they gave up a lot of yardage to Clemson, but didn't give up points. Uh, you know they've they've had some success. That's a good defense. They're physical. They they run around. They do have some injuries. I think the I think there's a, a couple injuries in the secondary that that might impact them a little bit. Uh, that's something to keep your eye on because you know Blades has has been really important for them at, at, at corner. And if he's dinged up enough to matter, or if he if he's not playing, that's a that's a significant loss for them. But they had this is a very veteran Duke defense and a very veteran Duke team in general. Uh, this is something we should actually uh, uh, this is something we should actually talk about in terms of how rare Duke is on this. Uh, Duke is kind of like a you know your traditional Wake Forest team in this. I'm going to go down the list of of just players on their offense and defense here. Jalen Calhoun, redshirt senior. Their left tackle is a senior. Left guard is a grad student. All, their center is a tra uh, a transfer uh, who's a junior. They got a grad student right uh, right guard. They've got a grad transfer right tackle, a senior tight end, and then uh, Coleman is a grad student at uh, running back, and then Jordan Waters is a grad student along with him. So that's a bunch of on offense, a bunch of you know fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth year guys. Defense, starting defensive end. Redshirt senior, starting nose tackle, redshirt senior, starting defensive tackle, uh, a grad uh, redshirt senior transfer, so basically a grad transfer, uh, right defensive end, grad transfer, uh, then sophomore at what Will Linebacker, senior at Mike Backer, grad transfer, uh, Al Blades at, at, at corner, so I think he's a sixth-year guy, actually. Uh, Jalen Stinson, uh, they're... they're very highly regarded safety is a senior other safety is a grad transfer and then they've got a grad transfer corner uh miles jones as their backup on on the other side so i mean this is a team where they can basically go offense and defense and have all but like four guys be seniors or graduate students this is a this is an old team this is a bunch of grown men and they play like it they they don't beat themselves and they play physical and nasty uh, as guys that you know, they're they they've been around the block a few times, and they they you know they they know all the little tricks, and they've been schooled well with that, and you know what you're kind of getting at that point. But this is a very veteran team, and it's a veteran defense with a bunch of transfers to supplement where they didn't have a lot of strength last year. Yeah, yep. Tommy, they've got twenty four. Yeah, yeah, twenty four grad graduates on this roster. That's a that's a just that's an obscenely old team. They're not Brigham football. Young old, uh, but they're close. Yeah, they're older than no, like that's that's on the top end of Wake Forest old. It's not BYU old, but it's like on the on the on the high end of Wake Forest old. What were you going to say, Greg? Before I transition, uh, I was just going to say Jason mentioned the Florida State game. Um, Duke has only allowed one team to score more than twenty three points this entire season, and that was Florida State. That game was thirty eight twenty. But it was what twenty to seventeen going into the fourth quarter, Jason. Yep. I think. Yep. Yep. And Florida State reeled off twenty-one in a row. About the same time, Relic Leonard went out. 
Uh, yeah, well, we'll what see. happened is Florida State decided to start running Jordan Travis. There you so go. So FSU, this is FSU's kind of taken the old Clemson approach. You know what Clemson used to do with uh, with Deshaun Watson and with the Elf and so on, where you know they they'd run their normal offense against normal teams, and then if you started to get them threatened you knew exactly what was coming. They're going to find ways to run the quarterback. And all of a sudden the quarterback's going to make some big plays and now they're going to score. And then in the big games, they're running the quarterback from day from game, from, uh, from start to finish. You know, that's where you you'll see Deshaun or, or, or Trevor run for, you know, a hundred yards against Alabama or whatever. Uh, basically middle of the third quarter, all of a sudden Florida state started just saying, okay, we're just going to have Jordan Travis keep the football. And he, he ripped off a bunch of chunk plays and then they started coming up for that. And they ripped off a couple pass plays after that. So that's something to keep in mind because Drake may can run. <laughs> I was going to say, it right? sounds like a game plan. Yeah. This is something I did want to get to. So I'm glad you, you brought that up, Greg, because that's the other thing. And it's the one thing I kind of held back before uh, the game plan that I didn't cover in the actual, uh, in the, in the film breakdowns this week. This is a team where if, if Carolina wants to have maximum offensive success, going full 11-man running game and having Drake May with some designed runs early and having some designed runs for him where he can pull it against that front, that, that, they've shown some vulnerability to that. Clemson had some success when they, when they ran the quarterback as well. They just, again, they would get it in the red zone. They got it in the red zone like four times and came in with points once, something like that. It might have been five times. you got to finish against this team. You got to score when you get in the red zone. But the difference was Florida State didn't really run Jordan Travis until the middle of the third quarter. And then they were like, okay, fine. You know what? <sighs> we're going to call, we're going to, we're going to start adding the read play to this. And then all of a sudden that game transitioned rapidly and Duke, Duke got off balance and they couldn't stop him. They couldn't stop him once they started running Jordan Travis. Well, Drake may can do that. So that's something to think about. If Duke starts to stop your offense a little bit, you can you can add that trump card and, and start running and start getting Drake May on the edge and letting him run run for some first downs and that that changes the math and and I think Duke will struggle at that point. Therein lies why folks should listen to this podcast. You know, I've said I thought Grayson Loftus would throw it more than people are expecting. Jason just said the legs of Drake May might be the difference. Let's uh let's transition into predictions and actual yeah. you got you got anything left, Greg? Go I ahead. got one one thing left talking about Loftus, Tommy. Um, very small sample size, uh, but the kid's, kid's got a pretty good arm. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I thought he looked okay against Wake Forest. He's just, I mean, during the headlights at times. Uh, and this is very small sample size, so don't read too much into this. But this should not be a surprise to anybody, but under pressure last week, he was terrible. Uh, he had a 34.6 grade, three of eight passing, uh, a couple sacks. That's what you expect out of a kid like that. However, when he was kept clean and had time, uh, he actually has a 86.1 grade when kept clean. Uh, he's got, and part of that is that he's got three big time throws. So when you're when you're looking at PFF, you know, yes, it's subjective. But basically, a big time throw is. If it's on the money and it's a tough throw and the wide receiver has a chance to catch it, the quarterback's going to get credit for it. North Carolina fans should understand what those are because Sam Howe and Drake May have thrown a ton of them 
over the last five years. Um, and I think that's a, a very important key is that you can kind of see, hey, this kid has some potential. You know, Down the road, he could be very good. So you've got to be able to put him in a situation where he's got to make a play. If he's able to throw when Kevin Johns wants him to throw, and whether that's play action, whether that's third and short, whatever, um, that's where he's going to have success potentially. So you've got you've to do a good job on early downs. You've got to put him a little bit behind the chains and put pressure on him. And if you do that, then you can get some three and outs and get some success and you maybe even get a couple of turnovers. So I'm going to ask you another one, Greg. I'm going to, I want to build on that. Uh, how did he, how did he look against Louisville? What did, how many points did their offense put up against Louisville? Uh, zero. Yeah. Yeah. Zero points. What does Louisville do better than anybody else in the ACC defensively? Pressure. They get after the quarterback. Yep. I'm looking at the numbers right here in the nation. It's actually, you can, you know, Louisville overall is probably third in the ACC on this, but uh, in the nation, Louisville is sixth in the nation in pressure rate, 42.6% pressure rate on, on the quarterback. Jeez. Yeah. That's only better than, or the only teams better than that in the ACC are Virginia Tech and Miami, who have uh, Virginia Tech 42.9 and Miami 43.6% pressure rate. Uh so that 42.6% pressure rate, they got pressure on him all game. And like you said, he's, he's young. He does not handle that very well. That, to me, is a huge key to this game. By the way, North Carolina is 54th in the nation in pressure rate at 33.2%. So a full 10% less in terms of pressure rate compared to, to Louisville. But I think you're exactly right. Now, part of that, though, is what you said earlier in the podcast. I want to go back to that because it's dead on. It's early down success. If, he, if, if he's throwing in, in third and three, first of all, they're not throwing it much then. But if he's throwing in neutral downs where, you know, you're, you're loaded up to stop the run because they've been biting off big chunks in the running game, he's going to be able to throw play action, RPO stuff where he's got his feet set and he's comfortable and he's not pressured. If you're able to stop the run on first down and also to some degree on second down, if you're able to limit the running game, all of a sudden things change for you defensively because now you can turn Cayman Rucker loose on third down. You can start to get some situations where you know they're going to have to throw the football and you can get pressure on him. And that changes this game. And the other thing that allows you to get that kind of pressure is it, like you said, if you can get a 14-point lead on this Duke team and now they need to stop playing, you know, keep away and, and you know, running the football and getting to fourth and two and going forward on fourth and two and up, oh, well, they got their four down, <laughs> playing four down football and there they go. They're holding on to the football and just marching it just a little bit by a little bit. They're, con they're content to do that. But if you're up 14, now they're going to have to start transitioning a little bit now you can start getting after him and maybe you can you can cause some problems and generate a turnover or two uh but that's to me that's so much of the game is wrapped up in that combination of things and you know i thought you brought that exactly right earlier and i want to reinforce that this is not a bend don't break defensive approach game i don't think 
Speaking of defensive approach, uh, Virginia 14, Louisville 14 with a pick six. Pick six, six yeah. First so, touchdown offensively that that uh, Louisville had given up in, what was it, 13 quarters or 11 quarters? Mm-hmm. That's they it, are, Which, by the way, is insane. Louisville's defense this year has been, to me, the biggest surprise in the ACC. 14-14 there. Uh, that would be rich if Virginia figures out how to win that game. That would that, be interesting. Carolina's right back in the smack of things if uh, Virginia is able to pull that one out. Yeah, and then everybody turns to to be Kentucky fans and also um, fans of everybody else in the conference. I said a long time ago <laughs> that should have been a fan of NC State when they were playing Louisville earlier in the season. Now you got to be a Virginia fan if you're a North Carolina fan. Yep. Weird t- weird times with no divisions. Let me talk about before we get to predictions. Let me talk about congruity. They're a, a national-based company. They're, they're a new sponsor for Inside Carolina, relatively new. We're in the second month of having them. Uh, North Carolina-based, but national coverage and certainly personal presence. They take care of your business, your HR, and your payroll so you can take care of growing your business. So let me repeat. They handle the people aspect of it. They take care of your people, the HR, the payroll, all that stuff, so you can grow your business and the customer service is top-notch. Darren and Matt are just amazing customer service. That's all what it's all about for Johnny T, for Johnny T-shirt, but also for congruity here for Inside Carolina sponsorships. So do a favor for me. And I want to hear back from people that have done this if you're a small business owner. Go to congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels and do a free assessment. And find out what they can do for your company. Look, if you have a company, there's no reason not to check them out. If they can help you, go with them. If they can't, they can't. But at least check out congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. Fill out that thing. They'll get you connected with a consultant. They'll see what they can do to help you out. And, of course, always the customer service top-notch. Predictions, fellas. Um, Greg, I'm going to start you first. This is a, a game that I feel like North Carolina needs to exert their will on Duke. Folks in the chat are tired of, tired of hearing about Duke's physicality. Duke this, do that, Duke's defense, Duke, whatever. It's time for North Carolina to step up and sort of put Duke in their place, at least from my perspective, if North Carolina is going to be the program that Mac Brown wants them to be. How's this shake out on Saturday night? Yeah, as I said earlier, I think this is really on the defense. Um, I think if the defense plays well, then Carolina can win this one and, and cover their double-digit spread. Um, maybe handily, just because I think Duke is going to be limited um, with what they want to do offensively. And if Carolina's defense checks the necessary boxes, this is going to be tough for Duke to score a lot of points. Uh, I do think Duke's defense is going to be ready to play. And so I don't think Drake May is going to have as good of a game as some people think. But uh, I was tempted to make this a double-digit score. But I think I'll, I'll go conservative, and I've got Carolina winning this one, 27-21. Let, let me ask you this. Before I get to you, Jason, let me throw this up. Gene Tripleton, Triplehorn, great name. Um, reminds me of somebody. I have a question for Greg. Is this the most times in a season Carolina's been favored? Concerning to be a double-digit point favorite again. It seems like Carolina's <laughs> been a double-digit favorite like four or five times this season. Vegas yeah. seems to love North Carolina, whether it's sucker bets or whatever it is. Um, can you recall a time that Carolina's been favored like this? 
Yeah, I mean, you probably have to go back to 97 uh, where Carolina – because Carolina's they've been favored pretty much every game. Um, but I think it goes back to Drake May. And as, as Jason has said time and time again, dating back to Sam Howell, when you've got a quarterback of that caliber, and it looks like right now, unless something changes, Drake May will be the number one overall pick in next April's draft. Um, you're going to be in every game, and if a opposing defense is not ready, uh, he's going to make you pay. And like, yeah, Carolina lost to Georgia Tech, but Carolina still put up 42. And I don't know that Drake played his best late in the game. Um, and that that's why you that's why that happens. It also speaks. I mean, look, give Mac Brown credit for for building the program to an extent where people are griping about a seven and two season <laughs> at the moment, right? And winning nine games last year, um, as we talked about earlier, Tommy. You know, uh, with appreciation comes expectation and all those kind of things. So uh, that's part of the deal. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been it's been impressive, and I think Virginia just scored again, right? So Virginia uh, leads Louisville. Wow. Or did they um, call it back on a hold? I can't tell. Mine hadn't updated yet. But, yes, so, I fully expect Virginia to finish this and uh, North Carolina having the opportunity to win out and uh, be in the ACC. They have to win out to be in the ACC championship. Go ahead, Jason. So did I hear echoes of Dabo Sweeney in your uh, in your comments there, <laughs> Greg you Barnes? Did. You, you did. <laughs> Is that, was, that, was that Greg Barnes? So this year we've heard – Pat Narduzzi, and now we just heard we just heard a little bit of uh, of of Dabo, Dabo yep. from Greg here. So, uh, and but the thing is, it, it, you're right. Uh, now this is this is an interesting game because I think it's a dangerous game for Carolina, but it's a game they should win because this Duke offense with Riley Leonard, I'd probably pick Duke here. Riley Leonard is special. Uh, you know, I. I I said early in the year, I said before the year, that I thought the two best quarterbacks in the ACC were, were Drake May and Riley Leonard, as much as I like Jordan Travis. That's how good the quarterback position is in the ACC. Now, with you know this, the season that Travis is having, that's a little bit more muddy, but, but that just shows I think, I think Leonard is really, really, really good. Um, not having him is a huge deal for the Duke team. And, of course, we're assuming he's not going to play, and even if he does, he's not going to be anywhere – He's, he's not going to be what he scares you the most with. Uh, interesting thing is I think of this game a little bit differently than you do, Greg. I, I see the offense as the key to this game, the, Car- the Carolina offense. I think this is a game where the, the Carolina offense has to dictate the terms of this game. Uh, I think of this game as sort of similar to playing Virginia in basketball. You don't want that game to be decided in the 50s. That game's decided in the 40s or the 50s, you already lost. <laughs> right? You know, it's hard to beat them at their own game. You don't want to get into that, into that slugfest. You don't want to do that. But it's going to be really hard for them to beat you in a game decided in the, you know, in the 70s or 80s. You know, high 70s, you get into the 80s, you score in the 80s against Virginia, you almost certainly beat them. Right? This is a game where Carolina's offense, I think, is absolutely critical to winning this game because it can help you help the defense so much. You have to. So yeah, that is, that is absolutely, uh, 
absolutely critical that the offense play well, not turn the football over, and score enough early in the game to to make this into a game, into the kind of tempo and the kind of game that you want. Carolina wants this to be a track meet. At least if I'm if I'm if I'm Mac Brown, I'm perfectly happy with this game being 40, 42 to 45 or, or 40, 42 to 35, whatever. Cause I don't think this Duke team with a amped up tempo, throwing the football a little bit more. I don't think they can score 40 points on my defense because I think they're going to have trouble scoring 40 points on anybody. Sure. I mean, so far this season, Duke has scored 28 against Clemson. That's actually pretty good. 38 against Northwestern. Not bad. Uh, 41 against Connecticut. Now we go 14 against Notre Dame, 24 against NC State, 20 against Florida State, zero against Louisville, and 24 against Wake Forest. This is a Duke offense that is going to be, especially with that, since Riley Leonard, they're going to score in the low in the low 20s in most games. If to me the magic number here is can North Carolina's offense get to 35 points. I think if Carolina scores 35 or more, they win the football game. It's as simple as that. Score 35 or more, you probably win this game. You're you're giving your defense enough points to support them. If you try to support the defense by playing time of possession, the time of possession game and you know doing all that stuff and slowing this game down to where it's decided 27-24 whatever, that's a scary game against this Duke team. So to me, Drake May and the offense is where this game's decided. And I think that is ultimately going to be the difference. It's the difference maker is the same guy that, that was the difference maker last year. They won 38, 30, what, 38, 34 or 38, 35 last year. Why? Well, because Drake May made plays down the stretch, right? Drake May and also Josh Downs and some of those guys, uh, Antoine Green, JJ Jones, those guys made plays down the stretch. And I think that's this game. I think they can do some of that early. I think this is a game where they're going to have some chances on the inside of the field. And uh, no, I do not think you take the ball first on this. You still defer, but you start to you start to make sure that you that you score on those early drives. Have have some front loaded game plan to get some of that stuff. I'm going to go with Carolina winning this one, but I do think it's a dangerous game. I, I mean, this is like a 60-40 game. Uh, I'm going to go with Carolina uh, 30. I'm going to go with Carolina 35. No, we'll go 30. We'll go Carolina 34, Duke 27 in this game. Interesting take, boys. I got, uh, I'll say Carolina 31 25 winning this game. Uh, Virginia's up 20 14. Somebody's hurt bad for Virginia, it looks like. Can't tell who, uh, but I guess they missed the extra point on the scoop and score. Uh, anything left, fellas? I, I think this is – I want to show these two comments because I think these are great. Mark Williams, who's a regular, he says, how can I feel good about this game if it all depends on the defense when Greg's talking? <laughs> you can't. And then when That's Jason starts talking, he says, I'm much more comfortable with the offense of being the key <laughs> to winning. Sums up the show. Great stuff from Jason and Greg. Great stuff from all our, our folks watching us. And shout out to everybody that's been in the chat. We'll be back inside Carolina Live 5 to 7 in the Bowls lot. It'll be dark. Bring flashlights. We're going to have a crystal ball. 
and, and or a disco ball <laughs> and some spotlights out there. It's going to be rocking. Um, maybe have some Nickelback playing. Uh, so Only if you're in charge of the music, Tommy. Be, <laughs> be sure to join the Bose lot. And then, of course, Buck, Jason, and myself at 9 a.m. on the day after, after a late-night game. No more jumping out of planes, at least for the foreseeable future. So we'll be back to our regular time at 9 a.m. Jason, Greg, Johnny T-Shirt, Congruity, everybody else, thanks for joining us. Tommy, you're alive. <laughs>